0: Hello and welcome to the second ever issue of The Big Issue, uh, TLDR's successor podcast to Trust Issues. Um, Before we get into everything, we should just say that we actually recorded this podcast or some of this podcast yesterday. So on Tuesday, before Gavin Williamson resigned. Um, Some of the podcast was about Gavin Williamson. Obviously, that is now redundant. So we are re-recording the Gavin Williamson bit now. Um, I'm going to be joined by Ben, our UK's lead writer, and, and Rory, uh, I don't know what your title is, so you're the social media dude. Yeah, that's, that works. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um, so we're going to record this bit now, um, and then we're going to cut to what we recorded yesterday about COP. Um, so apologies for the jarring transition, but we're, we're trying our hardest. Um, okay, so Gavin Williamson, obviously Gavin Williamson has now resigned. Um, Do you want to run us through the events that led up to his resignation and maybe a little bit of speculation about why you think he's resigned? Yeah, so this, Gavin Williamson's been a pretty controversial figure over the last few
1: years. He's held a number of cabinet positions, He was education secretary and there's a big fiasco in lockdown uh, about how grading would work uh, for GCSEs and A-levels because exams weren't taking place. Uh, He was the chief whip, um, famously had a tarantula called Cronus on his desk just to sort of intimidate people as he was the uh, chief whip Uh, and over the weekend some texts were leaked between him and the former chief whip Wendy Morton so this was in the uh, very very short uh, Liz Truss uh, era of government uh, and to be fair, he just came across as a bit of a petulant child. He came across as a sort of teenager, very angsty, sort of just really just awful. Um, so we've got some of the texts here, if we want to sort of go through them a little bit. Um, there were some really choice sort of words he had from Morton. You don't sound uh, like you're a you massive know, it, Gavin Williamson fan at the moment. <laughs> oh, is that coming across? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, what a shame. Um, so there's a few few texts in there. And, you know, I, I feel like we are, I am treating this a little bit with levity, some of the, the texts, and I think that's fair to, you know, It's very much taking the mick out of uh, uh, Gavin Williamson and some of his texts. But there is a serious point to this as well, which is that there were, you know, he was quite abusive in these texts. You know, Wendy Morton, I think, actually does come across as quite the professional. Um, You know, some some of these things here... um, you know, he was saying at one point in the beginning. This he was texting her, and this was all, all the way back to uh, the Queen's funeral. He's a Privy Councillor due to the fact that he's been knighted and in government. Um, but there's so many Privy Councillors that only a few of them were invited to the funeral. He was getting annoyed at Wendy Morton, the Chief Whip, suggesting that he wasn't invited for political reasons. So he said early on in the text that um, it's clear how you're going to treat a number of us, which is very stupid, and you're showing us uh, showing f- all interest in pulling things together. Don't bother asking anything from me. That's true. Uh then it sort of carries on. It'll say, Well, let's see how many t- more times you fuck us all over. There is a price for everything quite ominous there. Um after that there's a sort of a I don't know if there's a break in the text or whether we just don't have them. But then Wendy Morton comes back with a sort of quite a nice sort of morning Gavin, I hear you're not voting. I uh, want a three line whip, you know, why aren't you voting? And he just comes back with some more just vile stuff. So this was all, all leaked, it was all pretty awful. And then um, you know, earlier in this week there's some more allegations saying that he told some um, officials uh, to, to slip their throats and to jump out of a window so you know some really awful things um, f- for his part Rishi Sunak sort of uh, was refusing to sack him saying that there'd be investigations into him and he was going to refuse and then you know last night um, Williamson resigned so taking away the opportunity for uh, Sunak to actually sack him
0: obviously his resignation was accompanied by a resignation letter Mm. um what is the explicit reason given for his resignation and obviously aside from that why do we think williamson actually resigned because you know obviously westminster has a culture problem uh, and a lot of chief whips say a lot of quite nasty things and yet usually they sort of get away with it so why do we think that williamson has actually resigned this time around so do you mind if i
2: Well, I was going to jump in quickly and say, you know, the texts that were kind of the first thing that came out during this recent scandal were uh, sent while he was just a backbencher, while he wasn't in government. And there there was no, it was nothing about policy. It wasn't about trying to get people to vote a certain way. It was purely just anger that he hadn't been invited to the Queen's funeral. So there wasn't, wasn't even any justification on his part there that he was trying to do something for the party. You know, it was purely I agree, His but it is thing. worth
0: saying that even when he wasn't Chief Whip, he was sort of the de facto fixer yeah. for the government. Yeah. So he was probably acting in that capacity, wasn't mm.
1: he? So, um, yeah, in, in the resignation, letter, he he actually refutes what he says is the characterisation of the claims um, and says that the reason he's resigning is because it's uh, he's becoming a distraction for the good work that the government's doing. So he's not resigned because of his actions. He's resigned because he believes that the story is distracting from the government, and he's saying that he's going to try and you know clear his name. Um, why he actually was, resi- you know. I think that it was just the, the the pressure on Sunak was intensifying. Sunak had come in. The party's in a particularly bad state at the minute, and Sunak's main job as prime minister now is to try and hold the ship together, to try and avoid scandals that brought you know similar to those that brought down Truss and Johnson, and this isn't helping. So I imagine Williamson sort of realised that either what's going to happen is he's going to be fired soon anyway, which is going to damage uh, Sunak, so he might as well resign. Get ahead of the game. Get ahead of the game. Stop.
0: Stop any further damage. Well, that seems plausible to me. All right. Final question then. Um, You mentioned Sunak's attempts at party unity. How do you think this will affect Conservative Party unity? Because obviously, Sunak has Williamson in the cabinet for much the same reason that he has Andrew Mitchell and Mark Harper in his cabinet. So there's two other former Chief Whips. Mm. It's because he knows he wants to keep all of the sort of faction leaders on side and therefore in government. So do we think that Williamson's resignation will affect party unity in that respect?
1: Not, not massively. I mean, he, obviously, as you say, the Tory party is very factional, and Sunak and, and has tried to keep a lot of them in. But I wouldn't say that Williamson is some. He doesn't really represent. He's not. He's not. He's not big like like you say, like Mark Harper. Um, y- you know, there's a there's a few other figures as well that, that have been made, but Mark Harper is a very good example. But he's not big in that sense. You know, he's he's he probably knows quite a lot, and he's quite a big. Uh, uh, politician in his own right but not representing a yeah. faction so i don't think it's going to make too much of a difference it's interesting that
2: during the three or four days that this scandal was kind of ongoing there weren't really any conservative mps coming out publicly defending him or the things he said mm. um, so it kind of almost seemed like there was never going to be a fight over keeping him in in his cabinet position um, and even in his resignation letter he what, what was the phrase, refutes the characterisation? Yes. You know, he, he he's not saying, I didn't say these things. He's saying, I did say these things, but I don't think it counts as bullying. Um, but there is still a uh, independent parliamentary investigation into the various allegations against him. Um, so even though he's now back on the back benches, going forwards, that is something that's going to hang over Rishi Sunak's head, depending on the outcome of that investigation, if they say, you did these terrible things, you bullied these people... Um, that's just going to extend the amount of time that Labour and the opposition can say to Rishi Sunak, you've got terrible judgment by putting this guy in, in cabinet. Yeah. So I think that's Do we the think real... that'll
0: make a difference? Do you think it makes Sunak look a little bit less competent than he perhaps wants to seem? I think so. And I think that the fact you know, that he, he said
1: along the, you know, along the lines of, I'm sorry to see Williamson go, kind of almost undermines... The whole point of oh, Williamson you resigning, yeah. you know, Williamson resigning is because of all, all of the scandal and how that's perceived. Sunak then saying he's sorry to see him go, it, it probably isn't going to make it balloon into the level of scandal that we saw in Liz Truss or Boris Johnson's government. But you but know, it's a more significant. Yeah. you know, you don't want
2: to be making little slip-ups like this. Yeah. No, exactly. And he so, actually he actually said at Prime Minister's Questions today, "I obviously regret appointing someone who has to, who has had to resign in these circumstances." So. He's not really putting
1: up much of a defence there. No. Yeah, I think it's also just worth saying as well. Um, just just one last thing on this, which is that uh, Williamson's action as, as, as chief whip, you know, has come out in the last few days. The, the way that he he's probably. Uh, being chief whip and the way he operates in politics and I think that this represents very much the old style of whipping that we knew about in the 80s and 90s you know, there's a lot of reports of how whipping used to, to work then, it was very there's lots of reports of them being physical you know, like physical threats, things like that it was quite an awful uh, way that, that that was conducted. In, in the modern era now, it's a lot more to do with um, encouraging, a lot of trying to persuade people to vote with the government rather than threatening them to do so. I think that a good example of that is the text that were released over the weekend and how Wendy Morton was dealing with it. Asking um, asking Gavin Williamson why you know I hear you're not going to be voting on like it can I ask why? You know the presumption would be that Williamson would say why, and Wendy Morton would try and persuade him. No, you know you should vote with the government. The government is right on this. You should do this. I think that is by and large how whipping happens nowadays. And these reports of how Williamson operates very much harkens back to this old, much more toxic way that politics used to function. And I think that that's where he's getting. At. I know you were saying earlier that the, 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 there are other there are the actors in politics that might also represent that old style of whipping and perhaps they've not, they, they've not seen the light of day in the same way Williamson has but I do think that times are changing there are examples of that and Williamson hasn't changed and that's why you know this has all come out at the minute.
0: No I think you're right I think uh, Williamson is in the sort of whatever the opposite of the Goldilocks zone is for whipping I mean he's, he's not very nice but equally he's not nasty enough to keep them silent forever uh, <laughs> he's not you know yeah, you yeah. want to be, be nastier. <laughs> um, anyway that's that's this bit done um we're now going to shift over to a bit about cop that was recorded yesterday so thank you for watching and hopefully enjoy the next bit that i'm not involved with let's move out of domestic
3: politics quickly though um obviously we've that that's kind of the first um big issue uh the gavin williamson situation um i'm gonna start calling you out on which i'm going back the other way the the second issue <sighs> um uh, not even really a issue is it um we discussed last week um kind of the back and forth about whether Sunak would go to COP. Um, he decided to, obviously. Mm. He was kind of pressured by Boris Johnson, strangely enough. Um, so what was the outcome of that? He's been at COP. He made a speech. Um, what Was it worth it? What did he say? Well, he went, yeah. and
1: to be quite honest, his speech was just boring. Like he okay. didn't actually say anything substantial. He didn't really say anything new. He was sort of saying that the UK is going to sort of honour honour their climate um, commitments. So he was saying that. Um, it's not a huge. It's segment. not a huge thing. Yeah. Is I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue doing the continue thing. I want the thing. To be doing, but there was sort of a, a, a. Well, firstly, he hasn't got much money to actually spend, so he can't really yes. commit to anything further. So he he reckons that the current climate commitment will cost about 11.6 billion pounds. He's committed to that, mm-hmm. but there's been talk this week, um, and, and Johnson sort of spoke about this as well when he was at COP about um, reparations. Yes. to To um, is it v the v20? I yeah, I think, think I think, is I think what the they reparations
2: thing is. I don't know if that aligns perfectly to the V20, but but basically countries that are vulnerable to climate change or have previously been hit by uh extreme
1: weather events but he didn't comment on that johnson said basically ruled it out saying we haven't got the money but he didn't really comment on that okay. which was one of the big things spoken about this week he's just kind of said we're going to carry on and i think it's quite clear his speech made it quite clear that he wasn't intending to go mm-hmm. he's written a speech last minute saying yeah we're going to vaguely do some stuff and yeah. i know we said mm-hmm. last week he was between a rock and a hard place and perhaps going was the right decision but it's just been made very clear that other things are on uh, his mind i do
2: think with cop though um the the thing with cop isn't isn't the individual speeches by the various mm. leaders you know the out, it's, it's that final uh, agreement if there mm. is one and um, that is the important thing in terms of tackling climate change sure. um mostly the leaders of western countries generally don't make any massive like <laughs> commitments the, the the kind of most interesting speeches are from countries that are being really hit by uh, mm-hmm. climate disasters making these like pleas for for help yeah. um but yeah it's really it, I think it's less of an ind- a thing to focus on the Im- individual at COP and rather what the, the yes. outcome is. But um, I think that contrast between Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak well, was quite interesting, actually.
1: Well, this was it. And I'm not saying that he has to come out with anything massive, but sort of commenting on one of the biggest and most spoken about things this week, which was the climate reparations, mm-hmm. was big. Um, And the fact that he constantly referenced the economy throughout, I mean, it kind of gave you an insight into... Johnson or Sunak? Sunak, sorry. Mm. I think that kind of gave you an insight into what he's thinking at the minute, which is that he's got a budget coming up. The country is doing really hard, and that's what he's
3: focusing on. I don't think it demonstrated
1: his commitment to the environment at
3: all. And I suppose those are the soundbites he wants in the news too. He's aware, as you say, that Mm -hmm. the specifics of the speeches aren't all that impactful other countries media aren't analyzing what do we think of the uk based on this yeah. it's being analyzed by our media in the context of an upcoming budget which is kind of why he wasn't going to go in the first place mm. so i guess it makes sense he wants to hammer those points home ahead of the budget <laughs> next week is it november 17th yeah. so that is it's the 8th today so not next week monday, monday week? or tuesday tuesday, tuesday or yeah anyway after next week mm-hmm. i don't know <laughs> they people like have calendars yeah um okay so that's kind of what was said in the speech what's the response been obviously there was some controversy before he even went Uh, has it been a positive response to him attending and what he's had to say yeah well the opposition said what the
1: opposition will say i mean ed Miliband, you know former labor leader and he's now the uh, shadow climate change and net zero secretary Mm -hmm. said that rishi sunak is a fossil fuel prime minister in a renewable age this is the man who had to be uh, dragged kicking and screaming even to go to cop 27 and who opposes plans to make britain a clean energy superpower so i mean it's quite clear that he didn't think much of his speech he thinks that he doesn't have a commitment to the environment, and again, the, it, it's clear that the opposition are and probably will continue using yeah. the fact that he was pushed last minute to go to COP as you know, uh, you know, in their own favour. Of really. course.
2: Yeah, um, Ed Miliband is is the the guy who Labour put up for uh, anything to do with climate change and net zero, yeah. and he does he's got these pretty good lines that they've obviously been crafting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fossil fuel prime minister one, um, and there there is that slight uh divide now between labor and the conservatives or the government on the reparations climate reparations mm, yes. issue um i don't think ed Miliband has actually said you know i don't think he's used the term reparations i think that is a word that gets thrown around in the media but okay. they're quite careful to avoid using reparations because they know the public yeah. don't really react very well to that um but labor have talked about or ed Miliband has talked about you know financing uh projects in Mm -hmm. in countries that need help with climate change and yeah places like Pakistan uh with all the flooding that they had this year interesting when did we say the budget was November 17th next Thursday as in
3: next week as in next week okay oh my bad we don't know how dates work (laughs) yeah just for anyone who doesn't have a calendar at home you're welcome um okay so those are the two, two big stories this week. I didn't say it. Um, we obviously had Gavin Williamson, which will continue rumbling on. I imagine this investigation plays out and as potentially more information comes out mm. of kind of previous instances. And obviously COP27, which plays into the budget, which is happening mm. next Thursday. I don't know if you knew about that. we we'll cut out when we found out. Okay? Thanks. Um, <laughs> Okay, those are the two Big rishus this week. Oh, no, I don't like issues. Uh We will be back on Friday uh, with the balance of the week with whatever happens. This episode of The Big Rishu was brought to you by me, Jack Kelly, with Ben Blissett and Rory Taylor. It was produced by Jana Damich and edited by Scarlet Watshawn. The Big Rishu is a TLDR News production for 326 Limited. Nailed it. It
1: was smooth, Bravo. right? Yeah. That was smooth. Yeah. Very good. Bravo. Smash that table again, Jack. Come on. God, it's so bad. Oh,
0: God.